All right, how are we all doing tonight? Okay, this is step number eight, part two. Last week when we left off, at the very bottom there on page 19, we came to, ver- to Hebrews 13, 5 through 6. And basically it talks about contentment and the very fact that God will never leave us or forsake you. That's really the basis of where we're going to start at tonight. God will never leave you, nor will he forsake you. God will never leave you, nor will he forsake you. If you have God, what else do you need? Okay, amen, we can all go home now. Now, in that, if you understand that God will never leave you, he's not going to forsake you, that's the basis for where we're going tonight. I want to make a definitive statement. Now, this is a generalized statement, but it is definitive. It can be said any place, any time, any church. Education without application is zero-sum gain. Education without application is zero-sum gain. It's wonderful. We're thankful that so many of you are here to learn the role of the church is to equip these saints to be educated. Right? No. We heard equip you to do the work of the ministry. We do want to educate you. We want you to have a deep understanding of the Word of God because all fallacies begin with skewed doctrine. The prosperity gospel is there because of skewed doctrine. But it's more than educating you. We want to see you apply it. So tonight, I know some of them don't like to fill in the blanks. You should be happy there's only a few blanks on this one to fill in. But there is still a lot of things to talk about. We're going to start at the top of the page there with the answers to the true and false. My faith is a force that can change my reality. What did you come up with? Shout it out. Why? <laughs> Whoa. Step back. I heard a lot of truths in that. First of all, there's a lot of things wrong with that statement besides it is false. When you say the word my faith is a force that can change my reality, that's not true. That's the name it or claim it. And we're talking about little Kenneth Copeland, some of these guys in there. The reality of it is your faith is in, trusted in Christ Jesus alone and the word, the Logos, in that. It may change your eternal destination, but it may not alter your reality while you're here. we got to nail that one down because that's the first part where the oil gets on the road. We go off into the ditch. We start thinking that simply if I have faith in it, it will happen. And we're going to talk about some of those things tonight. But understand that that is not a true statement. And if nothing else, you want to clarify that tonight. What do you got going there, Victor? That changes the location of the mountain. It doesn't change your reality. The mountain moved. Well, I, I suppose to a point. <laughs> Victor, do not be difficult tonight. <laughs> but some would say it moved the mountain. Okay, number two there on the true false. There are programs on Christian television that should be of concern to any believer who knows the Bible and thinks for himself. Man, that's a big capital T plus on everything that is true. There are a lot of things you hear on TV that should make your skin crawl. Number three there, God has said that his power is made perfect in weakness. True. He said, abide in my riches, but he didn't say you're made perfect because of your riches, did he? Again, it's not a money thing. It's an application thing. What do we do with it? So we jump right in there and it says, the Bible gives many examples, right there under faith, the Bible gives many examples of men of faith 
one of the best known is Abraham. What are some of the characteristics of Abraham's faith? As summed up there in Romans 4, 20, 22. Trust, strength, unwavering. That word unwavering means strong and steadfast. It doesn't mean you're bopping up and down through there. You're going straight through it. You're strong and unwavering. Talks about his faith. We jump down a little bit there and it says, Where does faith come from? According to Romans ten seventeen. It comes from hearing, and you've got to hear the word now. Not only do you got to hear it, you got to read it, you got to study it. You will never grow in your faith if you're not spending time in the word. Your car will only go so far in that first tank of gas. Then it runs out. Now, I'm going to get back on my soapbox for a second. Many, many weeks ago, we talked about how much time we spend in that word. We talked about being a one percenter. We talked about some people are two percenters. I had one guy the other day, he's not here tonight, that told me he was up to three percent. In all that, you cannot grow, you will not go, if you do not set the plow deep and spend time in the word. Everything that's going to sum up in all these lessons comes back even to the people who are deceived by the prosperity gospel because they use churchy words, right? Faith is in the Bible. What does it say about faith? Some of the positive things. You're not able to please God without faith. Okay, but they take doctrine. They forget the, they take it into eisegesis, not exegesis, where it's man's interpretation of what they wanted to say. Is there not passages of scriptures that we'd like to just bend a little bit? You know, maybe, just maybe to smooth out the rough edges. Maybe God was busy that day and the writers got it a little bit wrong. And in 2024, we think we might be able to take it to another level. If you do not spend time in the word, you will be uneducated in the word. You will be blowed about, tossed like a ship in the ocean. And if you've ever rode on a ship, not the cruise ship, the kind the Navy will give you, them dudes can go through the water like a submarine. Boom. Boom. Being on a tin can is not real pleasant. Any Navy guys here that did that besides me? You understand that you get beat up on them ships. The thing about it is, if you're not in the Word, you can get buffeted, battered, and you can be led astray. How many of us do not like to debate theology with other people? We do not like, some people don't really like to debate it. And I'm not sure that debate's the right way to go with it, but how many want to do an, want to teach people, let's sit down and read the Bible together and see what it really says? Now, especially if you're dealing with someone who doesn't know the Bible, which may be us sometimes, I never hand my per, somebody my Bible to read. I ask them to bring their own Bible. I ask them if they don't have a Bible to download one of the free ones on the phone. Pick a translation. Because when you let them hold it in their hands and read it, then it takes all the thing about you wrote it yourself out of the whole picture, right? Black ink on white paper or pixels on a tablet screen, whichever your mode of reading is on that. They've got to spend time in the Word. We have to help educate people. There has to be application in what we're doing. We drop down there and it says, Biblical faith is always based on the Word of God and His promises. I know I'm repeating that, but we have to understand that's the only source we have. 
if we say, this is what I think the Bible means to me, wrong. What does the Bible mean? I'm not so interested in what it means to you. I know that sounds harsh. What does it literally mean? As the written word of God, it is subject to the rules of grammatic translation. Even though it was inspired by God-led men, there are rules that govern it. It only has a meaning, not multiple meanings. But the prosperity gospel wants to show you something different. It talks about that in the role. It says the prosperity gospel presents a very different concept of faith that some refer to as the word of faith or name it and claim it. I need a boat. I have faith in God. I will have a boat. That's how it works, right? How many of you got your boat already? (laughs) It hasn't showed up yet, has it? And there are a lot of these guys on TV, and we're going to read a quote from Kenneth Copeland, that are very good at helping people to try to understand that. If only you have faith, it will work out. And the ones they prey on is our elder generation. We live in a much different time than our parents grew up in. How many of you are from small town Iowa? In past generations, there was everybody went to the church, right? It may have been the Methodist church, it may have been the Baptist church, it may have even had a Lutheran or a Catholic church, but everybody went to some type of church. If not, they knew you weren't local. Because if you ain't in the church, you ain't local. Because local people go to the church, right? Look out in the cemetery, all of our relatives are there. So in that, we are now in a time when people do not all go to church. We've now passed three generations that have no concept of what the Bible really is or how church is, should be. So then they can be preyed upon. The point I'm going to try to get to is that many of our senior saints are in nursing homes and they can't get out to go to church anymore. Thank God that our leadership here had live stream before COVID came because live stream is a bridge into where they're at. Now, my wife Karen's mother is 93. She's in a nursing home down at Ramsey Home. She cannot get out. They do have a church service on Sundays, but it's so far from the gospel, you can't even call it church anymore. So how do we help these people? How do we help them get the gospel? Even, you know, maybe Karen's mom's 93, but in church all her life, she ain't saved. She does not believe she's a sinner, nor does she need a savior. At 93, you're really close to kicking it out of here. She might want to change your thoughts on that. But in that, this is the application part. If all we say, man, is that's terrible, we've done nothing to change it. If we let guys like Kenneth Copeland, and here's one of his quotes in the book there, it says, he says, if you speak the desired result and do not doubt in your heart, you believe that your words have power. Again, the downfall is you have power in your words. And the things you want, the things you say will come to pass. The result is that you can have whatever you say you want when you believe. How many people here have asked to be millionaires? Did you get the check yet, or is it still in the mail? Now, there are some good people on TV. I'm a big fan of Dr. Charles Stanley. In fact, every Sunday morning at 6.30, he's on at my house. Then we come here and we hear Phil or one of the other guys preach too. We're double dipping. We want to hear God's word twice on a Sunday. 
But in that, because my mother-in-law is not a believer, because she doesn't have access to it, Karen prints off the sermon every week and takes it down to her, and they discuss it. There are ways we can help change the narrative. Maybe you have a nursing home around you, and it's as simple as saying, hey, what channel and what time is someone like Dr. Stanley or Dr. Jeremiah on? There are some good preachers of the word that are still on TV. They're all going to find Joel and his crew on there. They're going to find Creflo on two or three different channels. But how do we make the change to help people? What are some of your thoughts on ways we can do something about the situation? Yes. Absolutely, we can make a visit to a nursing home. What are some other things we can do to help those folks who are interned? Anybody got an elderly neighbor that never gets out? You can pray for them. And prayer is a powerful weapon. But what if they're an unsaved individual? How do we point them in the direction to hear the? If we're not, if if we don't say maybe you're not able to share the gospel, or they hear the gospel and they don't believe the gospel, how do we help reinforce that to help these people? Your actions, but also it's as simple as saying, "Hey, there's a great program on Sunday mornings at six thirty on Channel Seventeen, or you can watch it at nine thirty on another channel." There are things we can do. What if we bought them a DVD? I have a single goal tonight. My single goal is not just to get through the lesson, is to actually to get us to think about ways that we can change the narrative. We are the agent of changes that were lived here by Jesus on this planet. There is no other program besides his people. We do have the word. Paul declares that what we've seen of God is clear through his creation. But in that, we are the agents of change that have to flip the script and change the narrative to help people come to faith. And the reason why I'm talking about the older generation, and I feel kind of odd being 67 and calling people older, but in that, when we talk about the older generation, because they're the ones that have a foundation. You talk to a 27-year-old, and unless they had great home training or were exposed to the gospel with their family, they have no concept of what you're talking about. So how do we help those senior saints still renew their faith or come to faith besides some of the things we've mentioned tonight? Think about that and see if there's an opportunity around you. Do you have an elderly neighbor, a shut-in? Like me, I live in in adult condos. We have people everywhere. They're all old. But in that, most of them have a church they go to or they have a foundation for it. Because if we don't, they will be helping Kenneth Copeland and his guys do what they want to do. We talk about going down a little farther, and it says you should only speak words you want to come past and believe that... Okay, excuse me, I jumped ahead there. With the name it and claim it gospel, when they say name it and claim it, what happens when you don't get the boat or the million dollars? They would say speak the words you want to come to pass and believe they're going to produce results. Now, if they do not produce the things, they go to their default setting as well, then you your faith is weak. We talked about this last week. Your faith is weak or you have sin in your life. And they keep going to the default setting because you did not get what you want. The reality of it is, did God destine each and every one of us to have a boat or be a millionaire? 
They claim that the basis for their faith is the word, but their interpretation of the word is in error. See, they use the right church words. The word says, the word doesn't say it. You can, you can take some passages in scripture and you can bend them around and make them act like a slinky and go up and down the stairs, but your interpretation is not correct. It sounds good, and people like when it sounds good, right? They like it because it's more easy to digest. What'd you say, Don? People like it when it sounds good. They like it when they cannot have to change anything. Now, based on 1 Peter 2.24, by his wounds you have been healed. And you look over on the right-hand side there, and he says, By faith I have declared victory over my illness, so why am I still in the wheelchair? Okay? We have people in this church, godly people, students of the word, prayed for and anointed by our elders, and yet God chose to heal them, not here, but up there. If name it and claim it was the way to go, no one would ever die or get sick, right? I believed it. I prayed for it. I spoke the words, but I'm still in the wheelchair. What they would say was, I'm sorry, brother and sister, your faith is just not strong enough. Think about how satanic of a lie that is. Think about how you could crush somebody's hope. Your faith is not strong enough, or as we go back to the Bible again, you remember the passage where it says, you know, who sinned, him or his parents? There's sin, there's got to be sin, because I told you it should work and it did not work. Jump onto the other page there, on the right-hand side, and there's about 11 different things to talk about, a few we're going to talk out aloud about, the rest you're going to get in groups and talk about. And it says, some of the things that are seen in churches... Christian television or radio should concern any believer who knows the Bible and thinks for himself. Key thing there, thinks for himself. Read and discuss the following. Now, many small churches suffer economically because their members give much of their offerings to certain megachurches or popular radio and television ministries. Now, let's hop off that page for a second. Let's talk about that giving thing. Your tithe goes to your local New Testament church. Are there times when we have restricted or not restricted giving or directional giving? There are, yes. There's, there's examples in the Bible where the believers were required to give for the tabernacle. There are times when even here we'll have one week for the master or a missions offering. That is directional giving. But the biblical model for things beside that are unrestricted money. You simply, because you're giving to the Lord through Grace Church. Now, special offerings, money to the TV evangelist, is not your tithe. When you decide that you're going to fraction out your tithe to five or six different places, you have then decided that you are going to be one directionally who gives that money because you feel that you know best. Now, why is this a big negative? The average church in America is 100 people. If everyone in that church, 100 people, gave $20 a week to some other ministry, how much money 
does that church not have to pay the pastor? That's the difference between a vocational pastor and a pastor who's paid. That's the difference between not having a youth pastor or not. It's If you feel led to give money to other causes, okay, do it. But that's not your tithe. Now, Pastor, I'm going to get a little sideways here. You can stomp on me if I'm wrong on this one. But we have one week for the master coming up. Give your best offering, but your tithe ain't part of that deal. That's above your tithe. Because when we decide to rob the tithe, we're not doing what we need to do. And the reason why I'm dwelling on this, nobody likes to talk about money, but I understand. I've been involved with a lot of small churches over the years, and they struggled and struggled because there are people in the pews decided what they were going to do with their money, how they wanted to spend it. I want to support this cause, or I want to do the orphans thing over here. And they take it out of what they think is the tithe. So the church actually gets about 40 or 50% of what they're supposed to be giving, and the, get, and the ministers get starved out. So in that, I will get off the soapbox, but the reality of it is you tithe to your local church. I don't know if it's Pastor Phil or someone said you don't go to McDonald's and get your sandwich and pay for it at Burger King. That's the way we're going to do it here, okay? If you're fed here, you put your money here. Now, your tithe may be given through Grace Church, but it's through the, to the Lord. If you feel good enough about being... I'm going to drive one more thing and I'll get off the soapbox. If you feel good enough to be here as a member, then you should have trust in your leadership to take that money and do what God wants them to do with it. Amen? All right. We drop down number two there and it says, Many prosperity preachers live in luxury at the expense of sincere but much poorer believers. Can we get a big amen on that one? Pastor, I've been here for quite a few years and I've never once seen where you parking your jet at. I mean, where you got that sucker hit at? <laughs> now... Yeah. <laughs> so the point of that is, there are a lot of pastors, their churches have planes. And I was talking with Josh Collier a little bit ago about this. You know, when you've served on the mission field for any length of time, money has a different meaning to you. Because you think of just what the carpet for a place, I mean, I'm glad we got the carpet. It's a different culture. But carpet in a place like this, what that can do on the mission field. Now, why does the pastor have to have a plane? And why does he want you to pay for it? That ought to be a wake-up call right away. Churches don't need airplanes. Airports have all kinds of them. They come in, and you can rent a seat on them and go anywhere you want to go. You don't got to own your own, do you? So in that, we have to understand, and I don't remember, I get really nervous about, like, you know, there's these traveling evangelists, and I don't believe we, we have any of them in anymore. I could be wrong about that. But when someone wants to come to your church and they say, I'm going to come, but this is my minimum fee to come, I get the heebie-jeebies about that. If they're supposed to come and they have God's message, God will take care of what they need to propel their ministry. But when they start setting dollar amounts, that's an issue. We're awful quiet tonight. I'm either boring you to tears or we've got some serious stuff going on there. The reality of it is that sometimes the shepherd doesn't want to care for the flock. He wants to fleece the flock. 
He wants to take that wool right on down to the nubbies on him because he needs to elevate himself. We have to be careful how money impacts our beliefs in our churches. In Moldova, if we had 15 baptized born-again believers, we would build a church. Because in that culture, the ecclesia was not the body. If your God is right, if Jesus is your Savior, where's your building? The Orthodox guy's got a building. Look at the fancy steeple. If Jesus is really the way, where's the building? So once we build a building, a church within 36 months would see a 400% increase of people that came. It might have been for the wrong reason, but they got the right stuff when they got in there. But the building had to be there. How many people think the size of the church has anything to do with the quality of the people in it or the gospel outreach? None. We have a great, big, beautiful church in a really cool location. But what we do outmatches the beauty of the building. I like to point the building out because I run people I work with up and down this road every single day. And so they want to know what about my church. And I say, when you get past Euclid, start looking to the right. If you cross over 80, turn around and go back and then look to your left. You will see it one way or the other. It's that great big church out in the middle of a cornfield. With a green roof. <laughs> if you want to hear about Jesus, come on in. We're going to help you with that. See, when the prosperity got preachers come in there, their focus is not in accord with the biblical teaching about riches. While they emphasize riches, Luke twelve fifteen says, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. I know you've heard it all before. you ever seen... You know, you haul following a hearst. The reality of it is your possessions will not go with you. But then why does the gospel preachers, the fake preachers, the ones who in the prosperity gospel, they need three houses, two planes, and four cars and a driver? If that's requirement to preach the true word of God, we're in a little trouble around here, right? Because our, our guy ain't got it. <laughs> Maybe, But yet we get the word of God. Let's drop down one more, though. It says, although they claim backing for the luxurious lifestyle, the way of inter- interpreting the scripture is confusing. Verses taken out of context, prophetic revelations, all to justify what seems to be just plain old materialism. Many times, under the guise of saying we need all these things, they try to classify their home, their plane, their cars, the retreat center as tools for the gospel ministry. Nothing can be farther from the truth. Anyone who's been anywhere in the world, I know my brothers and sisters back here, you can have a shade tree in the middle of the Sahara and you got it. You can have church and people can get saved. You don't got to have all the tools besides that. You need the word of God and people that have ears to hear and hearts to feel. You don't got to have the private plane. Well, I can get more places faster. If I got the cars, we look, we have to maintain an image. How do you be a guy like Joe Olstein and have a net worth of 50 million? How's he going to explain that one? But yet when the hurricane came, people can't come in. All right. Now, we drop down again, and this is where I'm going to ask you guys. We're going to take a few minutes here. And we're going to take it to one, two, three, four, five. Start with the sixth one there. And go on down, six through the rest of them. And you guys talk about them in a group. 
We're going to give you a few minutes to do this, and we're going to come back together, and we're going to analyze it and come up with some thoughts on it. I'm really, really big on group talk. I don't know if you guys love it. I kind of get the feeling you could live without it. But in, <laughs> but in all that, I think it's really good when we have collective learning. We're not here just to lecture at you. We're here to learn from one another. That's why we're all here. Some of you are going to have some really great ideas. We just need to get them shared so we can help each other learn, okay? So let's take some time, 6 through 11, on the little points there, and let's talk about them and see what you come up with. Just to clarify, it should be the one that seems like many leaders have tipped and tied their followers. That's where you should be starting at on that one and reading on down. Uh, you start where it says the follower part. Many followers seem they hypnotize them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 Six Sorry. down to 11 is where we're yep. wanting to go. Yep. Got it. Thank you. Yep.
Okay, about three more minutes. We're going to come back together, okay? Three more minutes. Go ahead and come on back together, will you? Hopefully you had all time to get through those 6 through 11. Some of you may not have, but we really want to hear what you came up with. So instead of just, I'm going to do something different, I'm just going to point at you. That'll make you feel comfortable, right? All right, number, number six there, the first one. or number Yeah, it seems like many leaders have hypnotized their followers with their personal magnetism claiming to live by faith. 
Well, if you got a jet in a big house, that's a different definition of faith. What did you guys come up with back over here, Steve? I had to pick on someone I know pretty well. Here's the thing. I'm sitting with a guy that came out of a bad The magnetism, the control. And it goes on and on about, do as I say, don't question. Okay, let me grab the mic. So I'm going to play past the mic along with getting pointed at. You guys are going to love this one, right? Shouldn't have. <laughs> That's why we're going to hand him the mic there. Would you pass that on over to Steve? Yeah. Okay. Well, let me start back with that. Make sure I'm say on on track with that one because it bleeds into all of these. We we had a good conversation about all these about the mag, about the magnetism and all that sort of thing. How leaders, preachers. They pour it on, and they think you should follow them for what they say. They don't think we should be Bereans. They want us just suck into it or just leave, and we've gone through that. It makes it hard to trust. Because there's some guys out there that are very charismatic. Yeah. It sounds great. There are some really articulate speakers. All right. The next one there. We're going to come over here. Victor, your crew gets to chime in now. Here you go, Victor. What? What? I was reading my Bible. (laughs) That sounds kind of spiritual, but actually he was nodding off. All right. Few followers of this movement know the Bible well. They tend to trust what the preacher says without thinking for themselves. What did you guys come up with on that one? We agreed. Okay, how about a little more? <laughs> Can we go few, a little deeper on that one? Few know the Bible well, and they're easy to mislead. You know, if you know more than anybody else, you can get them to believe what you want. Manipulative. That's a big word in this whole realm. Manipulation. How many people have a really great memory? You can, you know, there's some people who can memorize the whole book of Mark and stuff like that. There are some people who have great capacity to store and memorize, but they got no clue about the application. So when they start pulling verses of scripture out and using them on you, sometimes there can be a tendency to feel inferior and we withdraw to ourselves instead of saying, well, hang on, let's, let's take a little deeper 